We are going to be in week two of our DNA series. I know it feels like it's probably, it, it's literally been a month, I think, since I've done the first message in the DNA series. So let me just give you a quick recap of what we talked about last time we talked about this uh, subject. So we were talking about DNA, all right, but we were talking about DNA more in the sense of our spiritual DNA. So physical DNA, most of you probably learned by now if you're taking biology, whatever it may be. Um, that DNA is the code of life. It's the genetic code. It, it decides a lot of things about you, your physical traits and all that kind of stuff. So we talked about how when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he comes in and changes our spiritual DNA. He changes who we are on the inside. And then we talked about how that affects the way we live our lives. All right. So last time we talked about how that affects our mission, being on mission for Jesus Christ, the great commission. So this week we're going to talk about how Jesus changing our DNA, how that affects our values as believers, as followers of Jesus, okay? Um, now values, they represent convictions and, and they show the core of who a person is. So a person can know who you are pretty much based on who or, or what your values are. But here's the thing, it's not just about values. Oftentimes, or pretty much all the time, our actions reflect our values, so what you do, it, it reflects what you believe. It, it, what you do, it, it reflects who you are to your core, okay? So our actions, they reflect our values, and then our values, they are the ones that reflect our DNA. So ultimately, a person can know who you are based on what you do. Because if your actions are reflecting what you put value in, I'm about to knock over Mike back here, and if your values reflect your spiritual DNA, then ultimately it comes back to the conclusion that a person can know everything they need to know about who you are based on what your actions are. What you do, it tells people everything they need to know about who you are. I want to tell you guys a quick story. Now, this is a very recent story, and it's kind of strange, right? But there's this guy uh, over the last year called the Piggyback Bandit, okay? Now, this person, he's this guy, he's like in his mid-30s, okay? And he goes to different high school sporting events and just jumps on people's backs. Like, he'll, like it, say you're in a basketball game and, you, and the other team calls a timeout because you guys just drained a three. He would like run out of the stands and jump on a high schooler's back and then he'd just like leave. And so he was going around to all these different high schools like across five states doing this and everyone was like, who is this guy? There was no rhyme or reason to why he was showing up at these random schools and jumping on high schoolers' back. Like, that's really creepy. His name is, uh, it's Sherwin Shagan. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But this guy, he would show up, he would show up at your high school events. Just imagine you're a high school uh, basketball, football player, whatever it may be, and you're sitting there, and you're, like, celebrating with your team, and all of a sudden, this 35-year-old man comes, like, jumps on your back. He'd be like, the heck? What are you doing here? Like, that's kind of weird. It's creepy. It turns out he got banned from all high school sports in five states. All right. Um, so that's good news. You know, we don't have that creepy guy running around anymore. But he developed the name the Piggyback Bandit because of what? Because he would jump on people's backs. He would want piggyback rides. He developed that name because of what he did. All right. So the, the, the point I want you all to see in that is people can know everything they need to know about you based on what you do. So what are you known for? Hopefully you're not known for being the piggyback bandit. That's not what I would hope for you. But what are you known for? If I were to go to your school, if I were to go to your sports team, and I were to ask, what is this person known for at school? What is this person known for on the team? What would they say? 
You know, I'm sure we get a few answers. Maybe they say, oh, he's the cool guy. You know, he's, he's, he's pretty cool. Or maybe they say, oh, that's the music girl. She just, she's all about music. Maybe you'd be the sports jock. Maybe you'd be the jerk. Uh, maybe you'd be the friendly face, the kind person. What would it be? If I were to go to the people who just see you interact with people on a day-to-day basis, what would they say? Because that's what people see. And people... They, they know all they need to know about you and who you are based on what you do. So our hope and prayer, right, would be that when I would ask that question or if someone asked that question about me, they'd be able to say, oh, yeah, man, he, man, he talks about that Jesus guy a lot. Sometimes it's annoying, you know, but he really does care about what he talks about. You know, he really does care about going to church. He, he tells me, he invites me to come to church, but even if they haven't listened, but what would you be known for because that tells you all you need to know about where your values lie. We're going to talk about three values today that I believe we are supposed to have as the church. And as the church, I'm, I'm talking about not just Hebron, but as the church, the bride of Christ as a whole. The values I think that we're supposed to possess include love, truth, and discipleship. All right? And before we get into that, I want to remind you that your actions, they're going to reflect your values, and your values, they reflect who you are, your spiritual DNA. So the reason it's important for us to have these values is because that's a direct reflection of who we are. So today we're going to talk about uh, that we should be people that love well, that speak truth, and model discipleship. All right, so we're going to start with the first one, which is love well. All right, pretty simple. Um, But at the heart of the gospel... At the heart of who God is, is love. You know, all of you know John 3.16, God so loved the world, right? That he sent his only son to die. But see, the reason that we can experience love is because he first displayed that love for us. The problem is, oftentimes, we in our culture have, we've skewed love. Our culture puts love in this box of, uh, it's all about feelings, it's ambiguous, it's kind of floating around, you're reaching for love, it's Valentine's Day, you know. We're all looking for this love that we think we experience sometimes. Maybe you feel it when you have a crush and you give a girl some chocolates or flowers on Valentine's Day, but that's not the love that's displayed in Scripture. You know, we talk about how we love our families, we love our friends, but we also love tacos, and we love our favorite sports teams. And maybe you just have a really deep affection for tacos. Or maybe we use that term way too often, right? So we'll say we love these things, our phones, our, this video game, this sports, this sports, these sports. But we'll also say, oh, I love my mom. Well, obviously that's different, right? It's a different context. But the problem is, whichever context it is, oftentimes we've skewed what it really means to love someone. We'll claim to love our friends, and then when they leave the room, we're talking bad about them. We'll claim to love our families, yet often they're the first ones that get neglected in our lives. Man, I noticed when I graduated high school, I went off to college, I was like, man, I wish I had spent more time with my parents. I wish I had spent more time with my brother, because they're the ones that are, that, that helped raise me. They're the ones that love me more than anyone else in this world, Yet oftentimes, I was just so unconcerned with my family. So we talk about loving, but we don't really demonstrate that love. We don't really live out that biblical, uh, genuine love that's prescribed by Jesus. We love the idea of love, 
but often fail to live it out. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. So we have the capability of, of biblical love, true love, because God first loved us. And then Romans 5.8, you all know what I'm sure, but it says that God proved his love for us and that he would die for us while we were still sinners. And then John 3.16, you know, I quoted earlier, that Jesus would come and he would die for us. And, and this type of love, it takes it to the next level. That's a lot different than loving pizza or loving tacos or even the love we often show to our friends and family. Because we're prescribed to love our neighbors, we're, we're prescribed to love people as ourselves, and God demonstrated that love by dying on a cross. That's the type of love that we are supposed to have for our friends and our family. Yet so often that's not near the type of love we experience. And that can be hard, as we know. I mean, it's hard when you have friends, you may have disagreements. When you have family, you get tired of each other. But to experience that true biblical love, to love well, it, it takes it another step further. But in Scripture, it goes even another step. Luke 6, 27, he says, But I say to you who listen, love your enemies and do what is good to those who hate you. So, Jesus, you're saying... I'm supposed to love my enemies. And you're the one that demonstrated how love works. You're the one that demonstrated what love is by dying on a cross for us. So to love our enemies, you got to flip that around and say, man, that's a real love we're supposed to have for people that even hate us. God demonstrated his love by dying for us. And then God calls us to have that same love to our enemies. To love those who even hate you. Man, that takes it a whole nother level. But here's the thing. In, in reality, in, on ourselves, we can't do that. You know, you, you think about the people that you just really can't get along with. It's hard to, to have that kind of love for someone you just can't stand. It is only by the power of Jesus that we can have that love. It is only because he is our spiritual DNA that we can express that kind of love even to our enemies. So that takes it a whole nother step, that we would, we would love our enemies as Christ has loved us, because here's the reality. We were once enemies of God. Every single person in this room, we all were enemies of God in that we were sinful beings and he's a holy God. You know, Romans tells us that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that everyone deserves death because of it. We were once enemies of God, yet he still came and displayed his love for us by dying on a cross. So now he's saying, hey, I set the example. I'm not asking you to do anything I didn't do myself. Love your enemies. Because when you do that, man, you're, you're throwing fire on them, and, and they're, they're not going to know what to do when, when they're being mean to you, and you're like, it's okay, man, it's all good and you're loving them, they're not going to know how to respond except say, there's something different about this guy. There's something different about this girl. And that something different is Jesus. So when we talk about what it means to love, I feel like you can go no other place than 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably heard this at weddings and different venues, but it says this, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, 
It is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So we talk about love. That's, that's what I'm referring to. I'm not just saying, go be buddy, have your arm around your enemy. That's not what I'm saying. Do you see what it said in there? It does not keep a record of wrongs. Man, how often have I, I've been guilty of that, of holding a grudge against someone for years. And God's saying, that's not what love is. You're supposed to love your enemy, even though they may hate you. You're supposed to love your friends in this way, that it's patient, it's kind, it's not envy, it's not boastful. So when we talk about loving well, I don't want you to leave here just thinking you're supposed to go, you know, have good feelings about everybody. No, love is practical. It's what you do. It's how you react. It's, it's all these different things, how we interact with the world. All that is found under love. So that's love well. The next one, the next value we're going to talk about is speak truth. Okay, here's the thing. Speaking truth, it changes lives. Speaking truth changes lives. We as the church, we want to be a place where people can come and hear the truth. All right, but that's not the only where, that's not the only place we want them to hear the truth. We want to be taking the truth from the four or 20,000 walls of this church and going out into the community, all right, into your schools, into your sports teams. We want people to hear the truth from you guys wherever you go. I want people to hear the truth from me wherever I go, not just when they come here in this building. Because we live in a world Honestly, that's full of lies. The truth is, is far from people's priorities most of the time. It's all about getting ahead, and even if that means trampling people or, or lying, it doesn't matter. The truth falls way to the back on the priority list. So we want us, the church, to be the light of truth. John eight thirty two. it says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth that he's talking about here in this passage is the truth of the gospel, the truth of scripture, the gospel is what sets us free. And we are charged with taking that to the world. We're not supposed to sit on that truth. We are charged with taking that to the ends of the earth. So when we speak truth, I'm, just not, gonna, I'm not talking about, yeah, you should be truthful, not lying. But literally, I'm talking about speaking the truth of Scripture, which is the gospel. In verse 31, I don't have it up here, but uh, it talks about how we will know the truth. And we're going to know it by continuing in his word. And I feel like I say it every time I'm up here, but it's true. You can't know the truths of God if you're not studying the truths of God. You can't really understand and grasp it on a personal and intimate level if you are not studying scripture. God's truths are found in his word. Don't neglect it. That's how we grow. That's how we become confident in the truths of God. You can't expect to be knowledgeable in, in God's scripture and, and knowing his truth if you're not studying his word daily. It has to be a lifestyle that we live. So often we're like the people Paul talks about in Romans 125. I know a lot, I have a lot of scripture that I'm throwing at y'all, uh, but just bear with me. Sometimes they're short, but it says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served uh, something created instead of the creator. I've been there so many times. I've been there so many times and I've got so caught up in the things of the world. I get so caught up in sometimes even good things, right? In friends, in sports, in school. 
And sometimes I completely, completely neglect my King, my Savior, Jesus. Sometimes we completely neglect the one thing that really matters because we begin to get so focused on what's going on around us. But here's the reality. It talks about exchanging the truth of God for a lie. As a believer, if you aren't speaking truth, you're exchanging that truth for a lie. If you aren't speaking the gospel, then you've exchanged it for a lie. Because here's the reality. If you are a follower of Jesus and you believe what the Bible says, that God has come so that we may live life, and that if you don't seek after him, if you don't follow him, then you're going to spend eternity in a, in a real place called hell. And if you know that your friends are heading in that direction and you don't speak truth, man, do you really believe it yourself? How can we really believe what the word says and then not share with our friends what the word says? How can we not speak truth to, to people that are destined to eternity of suffering? If we are followers of Jesus, we will be speaking truth. It's going to be on the forefront of our lips. I'm not saying everywhere you go, every single word you say has to be, you know, pointing people directly, hey, to the Bible. But, hey, everything you do needs to point people to Jesus. Every conversation you have needs to be aimed at some way you could bring it back to Jesus. It means being careful with the words you say. Are you speaking lies? Are you speaking fallacies about people? Or are you talking about people behind their back? No, we are called to speak the truth of God's word, the gospel, every single place we go. Rather than being like the people in Romans 125, I hope we would be like Paul who says in Romans 116, he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of every single person that believes. Are you unashamed of the gospel? That's a question I've had to ask myself this week as I've been studying this, question, or this, this sermon. Am I unashamed of the gospel? Am I doing everything I can for the gospel? And the sad reality, guys, is when I asked myself that, I was like, man, there have been times when I've been unashamed of the gospel. There have been times this week when I've been ashamed of the gospel because it has not been on my lips. It has not been at the forefront of my mind. And if we're going to be unashamed proclaiming the truth of God's word, it's got to be at the forefront of everything we do. It's got to be the reason we do what we do. We go and we're good at sports so that we can use the gospel to change lives. We go and we practice music. We, be, we become great musicians so that we can see lives changed for the gospel. Everything we do should be aimed at furthering the kingdom, and that's all about speaking the truth of God's word. So those were, those were two of our values, love well, speak truth. The third one, and honestly the most important, model discipleship. Discipleship is a word we throw around a lot in the church, but sadly it's one of the things that we neglect the most. Discipleship is about making disciples that are making disciples that are making disciples. It's a process. It doesn't end just me to you. It goes from me to you to someone else to someone else to someone else, and it spreads like wildfire. That's how discipleship is supposed to work. It's, it's one of the, if not the most important aspects of the Great Commission. You know, our mission we talked about last week. If we aren't making disciples, then we cannot fulfill the Great Commission. Oftentimes we get so caught up, and don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to 
down um, or, or throw down evangelism. Evangelism is so important, but oftentimes we take it at skin deep level. We share, and then we never talk to the person again. And that's not the model that Jesus laid out. He came and he did life with people. He walked day to day with people, showed them what it meant to walk a life of holiness, of righteousness. And he modeled that with his disciples. You know, Jesus, he had a big following. There was a lot of people that would follow Jesus around. But he had 12 guys that he really went day to day with. And even beyond that, he had three, Peter, James, and John, that he really poured into the most. And if Jesus had that core group of guys, then we need to have that as well. You know, Jesus modeled that discipleship plan. We're to follow that as well. Um, the question I want to ask you guys concerning discipleship is, is, are you experiencing discipleship as it's modeled in Scripture? Because I think we've done it wrong for so long where we, we throw discipleship in, in this bucket and we say, oh, it's just, you know, hanging out with a few people, fellowshipping and doing this stuff, but it's so much more than that. Do you have a core group around you that is challenging you? Do you have a core group of peers or mentor that has challenged you to go deeper in Scripture, that is holding you accountable, that is challenging you to go out and reach your friends that are lost? If you don't have that, then, man, you need to get that. You need to get a group around you that is going to challenge you. But then there's another step to it. Are you raising up the next generation? Seniors. Are you pouring into the freshmen? Are you pouring into sophomores? Freshmen, sophomores, are you guys pouring into the middle schoolers? This is a process that you don't have to wait till you're 40 to disciple someone. You can disciple someone right now. If you are growing in the word, if you are a follower of Jesus, you can take someone deeper. And I challenge you guys, don't, don't let it just sit here. Go out and, and find those group of friends that you can really connect with and study scripture together. Go find those younger people or, or spiritually immature people that you can really pour into on a deeper level. Because if we're going to fulfill our mission, the Great Commission, then we have to be doing discipleship. It's so much more than just, you know, what we do here. This, this is not discipleship at its core. Discipleship happens life on life every single day. So we love well, we speak truth, we model discipleship. Here's what we have to remember, that our actions, they reflect our values. And our values, they reflect our spiritual DNA, who we are. It all leads back to someone can know who you are based on what you do. The song we sang earlier talked about how Jesus changes everything. And I truly believe that. When you experience Jesus, it changes you at your core. And yeah, there might be times where you, you fall back into sin and, and you lean uh, back towards the world. But ultimately, you always come back around because Jesus has changed who you are at your core. If Jesus is your spiritual DNA, then these should be the, the values that we're striving towards. To love the world, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to speak the truth of the gospel every single place we go. With our actions, with our words, everything is pointing towards the truth of the gospel. And then making disciples as we go so that we know it doesn't just end with us. We have a wave, an army that is coming alongside us in discipleship. 
So if we believe that Jesus changes everything, then this should just be the reality of who we are. We should be striving to love others, to speak truth, to model discipleship. We're being transformed constantly by the renewing of our minds. That's in 2 Corinthians 3. The Holy Spirit is the one that is present in our lives. He's changing us at our core. It's called sanctification. You know, once you become a believer, if that Holy Spirit is dwelling inside you, he is constantly changing you. So when I give you all these things I'm throwing at you, I'm not saying this is all going to happen overnight, that you're going to all of a sudden be able to love your enemies, that you're going to be speaking truth in everything you go. You're going to be making disciples. It's a process. But it's good to know where you're supposed to be heading. Because if you, if you have been changed by Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside you, then you're going to continue to see growth, continue to see change in your life. And here's the thing, y'all. As we're changing people, that's ultimately what changing, that's what's changing the community. It, it, it's a daunting task to say, we're going to go and, and save Gwinnett County. We're going to go reach every single person. That's, you know, that's a lot of people. But it starts one life at a time. And it starts as you disciple another person, they disciple three more, and they disciple three more. That's how you begin to see lives changed on a major scale. And you begin to see genuine lives changed through discipleship. It all leads back to this fact. Don't miss this. Either Jesus has changed your DNA, or he hasn't. Either Jesus has changed your DNA, or he hasn't. Does your life reflect the DNA of Christ? Does your life, if someone were to look at your life, would they be able to say, that person loves Jesus? If I were to go to your school and pick one random person out and say, tell me about that person, would they say, they love Jesus? Or would they say, man, they're honestly kind of a jerk. They don't really feel like they care about anything. They kind of just sit there. Is your life reflecting the DNA of Christ? Because if you've been changed by Jesus, if he has saved you, then you can't help but begin to look more and more like Jesus. Like I said, it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. But if you find yourself not giving a lick about anything that the Bible says, if you find yourself not giving anything about what I just spoke about tonight, if you don't care about loving people, if you don't care about speaking truth or modeling discipleship, then you really need to examine your heart. Has Jesus really changed who you are on the inside? Because that's going to be evident by the way that you go out and live your life. Remember, leave with this. People are going to know who you are by what you do. So when you go to school tomorrow, when you go in the community tomorrow, I hope that thought is ingrained in your head. What are people seeing in me? What would they say about me? So I'm going to give you all a couple opportunities to respond tonight, and this is the first one. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, Mason, when you're talking, I realize I don't have that. Jesus hasn't changed who I am on the inside. Man, God's word tells us that we can be saved. We can be set free from bondage of sin. Begin to live for him. I'm going to give you that opportunity here in a few minutes. But there's another group of you guys that are sitting here that are already believers and already doing good things for the gospel. And I don't want you to feel like I'm trying to talk down on you, but I am going to challenge you. 
Maybe someone came in mind when I was talking about loving people that you haven't been loving. Maybe someone you consider your enemy. Maybe just someone you don't like as much. What's that person in your life or group of people in your life that you need to love better? Secondly, where do you need to grow in speaking truth? Maybe it's in the way that you talk with friends. Maybe it's in the way you talk about others. But where are you growing in speaking truth? And the third is this. Are you modeling discipleship in your life? Do you have someone in your life that's pouring into you? Do you pour into other people's lives? And if not, I want to challenge you guys. Find that group of people that you can really dig in deep, really grow in discipleship. So I'm going to pray. I want you guys to respond as you need to. Lord, we love you. God, we see in your word that this whole Christianity thing is nothing that we should feel light about, but it's, it's a very serious, it's a very serious thing. And Lord, I pray that our lives would reflect you in every single way. I pray that they would reflect you in the way that we love people, in the way that we love our friends, in the way we love our family, in the way we even treat our enemies. God, I pray that it would be evident that we have been changed by you. Lord, I pray that we would be speaking the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel, every single place we go. Everywhere we go, Lord, that you would be on our lips. And Lord, I pray that we would model discipleship in a way that would honor you, that we would be raising up the next generation. Lord, that we would be allowing people to challenge us to go deeper in our relationships with you. So I talked about earlier, maybe this, this evening you're sitting here and you say, Mason, I need that. I've never given my life over to Jesus. And I want to invite you, just in your heart, to pray to God. There's no special words you have to say. It's the attitude of your heart. and Just say, God, I need you to come into my life. Lord, I need you to change me. God, I believe that you're the only one that can because you came and you died on a cross for my sins. Lord, I want to live for you. Change who I am on the inside. Help me to love you. I don't want to keep your head bowed, but and if that's something you prayed tonight, I want you to go find one of the leaders during this next song. Um, you can come see me. You can come see one of the leaders in the back. We'd love to talk with you about that, pray with you about that. But for the rest of us in here, during this next song, I want us to pray and focus in on where can we love better? Where can we speak truth more? And how can we grow in the way we model discipleship? Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, that we would lean into who you are. Lord, that we wouldn't leave here the same, but we would continue to grow closer to you in the ways we love well, speak truth, and model discipleship. We love you, Jesus. Praise your name. Amen.